Welcome to season four of Been There, Done That, a pandemic survival podcast. I'm your host, Felicia Perez, and in this show, we'll be talking to some real life experts on how to get through this time filled with unexpected changes, challenges, and not maybe, but definitely feelings of helplessness. And those experts are everyday people like you and me. Turns out we may be more prepared for this moment than we realize. So let's get started and see what we can relearn. Okay. It's Sunday, November 29th, 2020. Uh, It also happens to be our 12-year wedding anniversary. Yep. Thank you for that. Yep. Yep. (laughs) That was how the vows went, people. And um, I'm sitting here. Felicia. Yep. In the backyard on our deck. And I am interviewing you. On a day which just last year would have been snowy oh, and yeah. wet. Yeah. And even it's last cold. year was like a, a, a dry winter. And I feel like we just got an even drier winter right now. Mm. There's no, there's nothing in the forecast for rain or snow. Does that disturb you? Yeah, I don't know how to compare. I don't feel like I remember enough to compare. But I mean, yeah, I'm terrified about the climate. Just this uh, last summer and just last month, there were more fires again on the West Coast, particularly in uh, our home state um, where we grew up in California. And we feel the effects of it here in Nevada uh, Mm -hmm. as we are in Reno in the valley floor where the smoke comes in and just she don't want to leave. Um, she's like that guest who comes over and you're like, when are you leaving again? It's kind of like that. Although we never have any of those kinds of guests. Are you going to start guests. vacuuming under her feet? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's kind of like that. That's what Felicia does when she's anxious at the end of that's, a party. She starts cleaning. That's the smoke. I've been known <laughs> to um, have a housewarming party where come 7.30, I start walking <laughs> around with a black trash bag cleaning up as we go i don't see the point people in waiting. start getting uncomfortable and leaving yeah i've changed my ways that was very early on that was before the beginning of uh you know uh counting wedding anniversaries emily hobson that's true um and i i've changed my ways i've now learned to enjoy the party and worry about the mess later I mean, I'm better than the trash can days. Yes, you're better than the trash can days. Thank you. Okay, can we finally stay on topic? We're in the middle of a pandemic, and you're talking about parties, which we have not had in in a year. Um, we just had Thanksgiving. Yep. Um, how was your Thanksgiving? It was pretty great, actually. Shh, don't tell anybody. There's so many people out there in the world right now who fall on two different opinion groups for thanksgiving it was either a unexpectedly or you've anticipated this you've had thoughts about this your whole life that it could be great if it was just you alone yeah (laughs) but others um didn't have such a great thanksgiving sure it's kind of like the whole pandemic you know like it it has shined a light on problems that already existed, dichotomies and massive inequalities that already existed, the pandemic just made them bigger. Yeah. So I feel like this Thanksgiving, it either was really good and you feel guilty, or it was really bad because it's always a little bad. And usually having people come over is the buffer that makes it manageable, but not having people come over to make it manageable just made it all the difficulties were on full display yeah i mean to me uh, i have issues with thanksgiving oh i'm well aware of your issues with thanksgiving i don't really you've uh, said in the past that you don't like the food i well i really don't like having to travel for it because i find it incredibly stressful it's like everybody's traveling at once and it's I've just had very stressful travel experiences. And it's the shortest turnaround. And it's, it's just one day. Yeah, like, You're lucky if you get the next day off. Yeah, I've had experiences, many experiences where I had to travel a pretty significant difference for Thanksgiving. And so I was exhausted by the Thanksgiving. Whereas this, I feel very rested. You know, I didn't go anywhere. Got a lot of sleep. I've been doing a lot of sitting on the deck reading. That's That to me is very pleasant. Um, 
you know, bit of an introvert, so it's not. I'm sorry. Really did you say you were a bit? A bit of an introvert. How would you describe an introvert? Like it, for someone who doesn't know. So my my understanding. This is the thing that that really like solidified an understanding for me is the idea that an introvert gets their energy like they're refueling from time alone or or close to alone like I feel like you and I together is pretty close to alone it's <laughs> not the same I still want you and I alone. alone is pretty close to alone it's not the same as alone no it's not because when you're alone you get to do what you want to do and when you're alone with one other person, I just don't have to be. Yeah, I don't have to talk to anybody. It's. Great. Is it the talking that exhausts you? No, well, sort of. No. It's the. I mean, here's the thing. Here's the thing that you're bringing up, which has been true for many years for us, and may be true for people who are listening or reading this, which is that when you are the youngest, when you are young, and when you are without children. You tend to be the person who has to do the traveling. So I I went to I went away to school, um, but I went away like to a neighboring city. You know, I was yeah, two and a half yeah. hours away from home. You were and that's on the train. Well, that's in the car. Oh right, um, to Orange County, sure. But um, you went to school on the East Coast, so that was you know yeah, a I'd couple never, of plane rides. I never ever went home for Thanksgiving. It yeah, but you far. maybe did for Christmas. Oh yeah, of course I did. Right. Every Christmas. So I think what happens though is that you, did your parents ever go to you for Christmas? Nope. Yeah. Um, and my parents never came uh, for me for Thanksgiving. Let's be honest. My parents came three times to visit me in college. Once to drop me off. Once to pick me up or celebrate my graduation. And one time in the middle because they were suspicious. But Yeah, um, my parents came twice. Yeah. So, they didn't so drop me again, off. so what happens is the youngest, the ones without children, um... The ones who, quote, have less responsibilities mm-hmm. or or are seen that way mm-hmm. are the ones who have to spend the money, the time, and really just make your body go through all the things of traveling. And it's a body workout traveling. So you're exhausted, you're tired, and you've, like, really, ex- you know, spent a lot of body energy to right. go from point and, A and, to point and, B. And, you know, thanks, the thing I don't like about Thanksgiving is that it's this one meal and everybody's very fussy about what dishes they do and don't want. And to me, what's interesting about food is you try different things, you have new varieties. Mm. I mean, there are things, okay, I don't really truly dislike the Thanksgiving food. I just don't like the weight and the, the pressure put on it. And, and uh, you know, I, yeah. I've just always found it very stressful. Whereas Christmas is not about a particular meal. There's lots of little meals you have. And like some of it is about, you know, making cookies and like the process of making the food seems more fun to me. And uh, I also, I don't really have, you know, I have, oh, there's a helicopter. Let's wait. Yeah, let's, let's hold wait. for a helicopter. We can cut this part out maybe. I think it's a news helicopter. What are they reporting on? It seems you know, everyone's at home, Bob. Thanksgiving is an openly settler colonial racist ass holiday. And Christmas to me, I mean, I do, of course, realize that Christianity and colonialism have been hand in hand. hand but in I hand. also. Hand in hand. I also think there's something redeemable. Um, and, you know, I'm. I'm, I'm I'm kind of a fan of the baby Jesus. I, okay, I'm, hold I'm for like Christmas. Not a, not a, not a problem with the baby hold Jesus. for Christmas. We're not there yet. We're still on Thanksgiving. So I, I hear you. It is one meal. It is focused around one particular meal. And it's not a breakfast meal. It's not like Thanksgiving is like a brunch buffet, although that would be cute. Um, I wonder if people have Thanksgiving breakfast. No, you know, I was actually seeing a tweet about like sort of cultural differences around if, if you even eat breakfast on Thanksgiving Day. What? Yeah. Like, but I think that's especially if you eat the meal in the middle of the day, like truly the middle of the day, like one in the afternoon, and you just get up and maybe you have coffee, but you don't like really have breakfast. Because you want to be able to have enough room. Because you just wake up at 6 a.m. and you're cooking. so much food. Yeah. And you want to like, you have this one meal. What's interesting about Thanksgiving to me is to your point of some people culturally and putting into, you know, a tradition not eating breakfast because they traditionally eat Thanksgiving lunch, is that really it is then a holiday of gluttony. 
It's right. how much food can you put on your plate and eat right. and just keep eating. You're supposed to make like nine million dishes and then eat them all. You yeah. Know, and be in pain. Yeah. Yeah. And I it, mean, I have gone like to a Thanksgiving meal and then pain. thrown up afterwards. Not because I really tried to stuff myself. Were you tr- doing a Princess Diana? No. No. God, no. But I just, honestly, I think there was something, like I got very mild food poisoning. Yeah. And ate maybe more than I should. And I threw up on the drive back. And I was like 20. Okay. I was not like a seven-year-old. Yeah. Um, it was pretty unpleasant. I got to say that even though it's just one meal... If you have the same meal every year on the same day, every year for the majority of your life, what starts to happen is you literally taste those flavors and then taste what's happening around you. Right, 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 right. And, you know, growing up at my house um, when I was a a kid, um, my like elementary, middle school age, my dad owned a bunch of gas stations. He was a business owner. And so we were the house where um, my dad's employees who didn't have a home or didn't have a family or didn't just have plans for Thanksgiving um, would come over to our house along with um, his siblings and my mom's siblings. And so it was always a huge affair and the house was never big enough. So there was always multiple tables. It wasn't like the adult table and the kitty table. It was like tables all over the place. And people couldn't be too fussy because no. it wasn't like you were going to have enough dishes for things exactly. to match or whatever. Exactly. So you get used to paper plates. Right. And, and you know, non, uh, right. sort of like the special, you know, utensils. And like how you would have it if you were at a friend's potluck Thanksgiving, yeah. which I enjoy. Yeah. Like, I like it when the pressure's turned down. The problem is my dad is no longer a business owner. Right. My parents are divorced. And my mom is still using the paper planes and the plastic utensils. That she is. That she is. But here's the thing, here's the thing that I miss about Thanksgiving at my mom's house. And and for those listening and, and reading, what happened is that when we moved here to Reno, I got sick quite quickly and I got sick during Christmas time. I was diagnosed with like, you either have, you know, poop on a sandwich or poop on a cracker um, on my mom's birthday in 2012. And so, you know, the next Thanksgiving, we instituted, uh, we're not driving down here for Thanksgiving anymore. You know, we had lived in LA, so driving down for like 45 minutes or an hour and a half was was stressful but manageable. And, you know, we didn't want to fly all the time, but driving from Reno to Southern California was like an eight, nine hour deal. And we were the only ones ever doing it. You know, my family never did the drive to see mm. us for a ton of reasons, you know, not wanting to leave Michaela, who couldn't travel up to this high of an altitude. Out. Mm. There's a bunch of things. But um, my mom's bad back. Or we were driving to the Bay Area, which is also is a right. shorter drive, but a, kind of a tough drive. Cause of right. Mountains. Multiple families, the whole thing going on. But I think, you know, so we stopped going to Thanksgiving at any of our families. It was like, we're not going to even debate whose family we're going well, to for well, Thanksgiving. Well, back up here, like, I advocated for us to get married Thanksgiving weekend so that I could have something else associated with the holiday. Ah, uh, yes. This is why. In order to our create <laughs> an alternative tradition surrounding the Thanksgiving holiday that had nothing to do with Therefore, 12 plus years in the making was always the desire for Emily Hobson to replace Thanksgiving with a separate holiday. Yeah. And since then, we've been able to say, yeah. oh, we're not going anywhere. So if it's just it's us and we can't really do anything, I'm like, sure, I'll make a turkey and cranberry sauce and sure. But here's what I miss. And I'm wondering if you would be interested in us both maybe learning how to do it so that we could have it in our house, too. Spatchcocking? I miss my mother's stuffing. There was a gasp, and she's looking away. I realize there are raisins in it. I realize it's on the sweeter side. And I realize you don't like it. It's wet. But here's the thing. I like the stuffing I made on Thursday, which is like crispy and bready. That's great. And I love that you love it. You liked it too. I did like it. But every Thanksgiving, when there is a Thanksgiving sort of like meal, traditionally, that's what I miss. My mom's stuffing. See, but that's what I hate about Thanksgiving is like people get, like how ridiculous is it that I'm like, I don't want that stuffing. That's not the right kind of stuffing. I mean, that's ridiculous. 
So yeah, if she will ever give me the recipe, I will gladly make her stuff. Ah, uh, you know how my mom's recipes are. So you stick your hand in this thing. You get you get a good handful. Yeah, yeah. And then you sprinkle. I don't know. Yeah. You sprinkle it to taste, and then you use your yeah. hands to make yeah, like it's yeah, a yeah, whole yeah. thing. But at least she would tell me what's in it. Maybe. Here's the real deal. I think there's though. a gizzard. This is why, for like the last five years, we've been going to a buffet uh, in one of the casinos for Thanksgiving. Because why be limited to Thanksgiving food? Oh, that's not why I go to the buffet. I go. I mean, if I'm not going to have my mom's stuffing, then I'm going to have something dramatically in the opposite direction. Right. Last like, to me, the whole point of the buffet is that it has nothing to do with Thanksgiving. It's a bizarre, disgusting, like, Why does everything have such a, like, extreme... Um, critique, disgusting, foul, wet, gross. Like, this is food that I find comforting and loving. I don't know. I'm being a six-year-old. Could Ew. you maybe be Ew. your age, which is Ew. mid to late 40s, please? I am not mid to late. I'm and exactly mid. And there it was. Mid. You see what I did there? I just did that. I but am here's, exactly mid. Here's the thing. Last year, I ate like over 50 crab legs. No, not last year. Last year we had a Friendsgiving uh, that was a potluck at someone's house. Two years ago, you I'm had I'm so crabs. glad that we're married. Do you know why I'm so glad that because we're married? Because you have a historian who is accurate and can provide you with accurate detail about your life. Which is really important when you have memory problems and cognitive memory issues. You know, this happened before. Oh, oh. This is a personality trait, not no, a memory problem. No, no, I'm not saying that it is a memory issue because of the tumor. I had memory issues, I agree, well before this. And it was uh, drug abuser induced. Maybe. So <laughs> I didn't know you before. Oh, my God. Can I get out this thought, please? Which is that this is why it's great to be married to you. Because if I wasn't married to you, I would be telling stories that were just complete lies. Like last year, I had over 50 if grab If you legs. weren't married to me, you still tell stories that are complete lies. Oh, my God. Okay. 98% lie. Let's move on. Um, you corrected me yesterday with some numbers. <laughs> I do that a lot. Shocking. <laughs> Newsflash. Emily... You corrected me yesterday. Yeah, yeah, 13 million COVID cases. What What are you just spouting out? This is what happens. You just spout out information without any context. Because you were saying there were 4 million cases, and I was like, no, sweetie, there were 4 million cases in new cases in the month. month of November, less than the month of November, and and you were, I think, mixing up that that was the total, but it's well, you know, the total is well past that. We're at over So we were at 1.9 million positive COVID-19 cases, cases in October. In October. Yeah. That doubled to 4 million mm-hmm. cases in November, which, by the way, we're still in it. Yeah. Uh, November ends this coming Monday, which is tomorrow. And right now in the United States, there are 13 million plus positive folks who have COVID-19. And we have the largest percentage than any other country mm-hmm. in the United States. You and I know two people who right now, um, close friends, people of color. We know three. Two people who here in Reno sure. have COVID-19 and have struggled with it. We have also a great aunt who is in Southern California right now, who is one of 14 patients living in this assisted living uh, complex. She's 96. Um who have tested positive, and in that location, 11 of the staff mm-hmm. have tested positive. We recently found out this morning from a post from my great aunt's daughter, my cousin, that no one is picking up the phone yeah. at this assisted living facility, and no one is answering the door. Yep. What are your feelings right now about COVID-19 and how things are going? How are you feeling about how the country is and locally the state and the city the county are dealing with the pandemic Uh, it's pretty awful (laughs) um it's just it feels so so much of it feels preventable I don't think that you know, the spread of a pandemic would necessarily have been prevented. But I think the scale and the impact 
it's just such a it's such a reflection I just I I just think this country is committed to death like at this point it just feels like we live in a death cult like there's what there's else supports that what what's happening with our current administration trump, that also you know trump like racing through as many death penalty you know executions as he can in the federal system and and you know instituting a rule to allow those executions to include poison gas and the firing squad um just the the way that covid has been allowed and enabled to rip through prisons and jails uh but the president got COVID-19 yeah I mean I think also he's I think that's in and of itself a commitment to death like just a eh, you know you know somehow that that his surviving it which only happened through incredibly aggressive intervention that other people can't get is somehow immediate medical attention via helicopter exactly experimental acting like that's somehow some reflection of of ability or worth i mean it's it's like it's a complete reflection of everything anybody ever says about the free market about welfare you know that if you succeed it's because you're a good person and you are worth it as opposed to you succeeded because you were you know handed every opportunity and and bailed out at every misstep rather you know and that the people who weren't handed all of those chances have failed are are bad people you know are worth it i mean i i just think that there is a commitment in this country to the idea of it's laissez-faire everything it's it's fundamentally you know racist conception of the value of people you know that there are some people who are worthwhile and others who are not and that value is proven by thriving in a system that is built to kill people so is that like some sort of like um, neo-social darwinism yeah i don't think it's even neo it's just a continuation you know it's it it is the it's the logic of every genocide it's the logic of the holocaust it's the logic of capitalism it's so then are we shocked that you know we got to this point in the united states with this many positive cases with this many deaths with president trump i think even without trump i'm not that surprised like i mean i i am shaken and shocked to my core i'm incredibly depressed about it but you know, I also think that it makes perfect sense. And I I don't even think it's... I think, you know, Trump crystallizes and makes more violently evident something that is, you know, basic to the system. I mean, many, many, many structures allowed him to exist. I mean, for crying out loud, I was, you know, in the 90s working in bookstores where his idiotic books were getting sold and snapped up I mean, it was evident from the beginning that he was a sociopath. And yet, you know, he had a best-selling or whatever. I'm like incoherent because it makes me so angry. But he had a top-rated TV show. Is this show. the art of the deal? Oh, no, we're the talking the about deal, and then, The Apprentice. Like, a show whose tagline was, you're fired. <laughs> like the joy was supposed to be in, you know, seeing people get fired. So basically what you're saying is that Trump's television show his entire personality his cult of personality his everything is based on creating situations where there's a gladiator survival yeah, it's all of the about fittest. cruelty it's all about yes. cruelty it expresses and you something will basic die if you lose it expresses something basic about this culture that that's celebrated so trump lost the election but has not conceded no do you anticipate that he ever will i don't fucking give a shit like I, I don't think he really will in any true sense. No, in any true sense of the word, he will not concede. He will leave the Oval Office, but he will never. Concession is a graceful act. 
You know, I just watched the show The Queen's Gambit, which you know, whatever it had, it's got its Everybody's issues. raving about it, and it's there's a there's a small minority that's I like, really? Look, what? I, I don't care. I don't understand why everybody loves this show. In my precious alone time, yeah, fully alone. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, when you go to the gym in the garage, fully alone. Fully alone. Yeah. <laughs> Unless nothing. somebody interrupts your gym time, yeah, saying, God. "Can you help me with my Apple Pay?" I need to set up my Apple Pay. Oh, that, okay, okay, you're, she's digging on me now. There's okay, an element on. of, yes, I have an element of being misanthropic. Anyway, I was watching The Queen's Gambit. It's got its issues as a show. It was enjoyable to look at the fashion. It was weird to watch a show set in, like, basically 1968 with absolutely no it's mention of anything It's a show about political. a little girl who learns to use um, sedatives no, 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 no. as a way to like get through life. Let me take She thinks sedative. that it's tranquilizers, but she learns by the end that it is not. It is her mind. It is her ability Wait to... Wait a minute. Those were never tranquilizers? No, she, the green on green she just, pills? No, she just quits them. Oh, she quits them. She goes back to using them as an adult, and then she eventually quits them, and, and she wins sober. Yeah, but she but anyway, learned to be an amazing chess player by basically taking herself. You have like, totally distracted me from the point I was trying to make. Welcome to okay, marriage. The point I was trying to make in The Queen's Gambit is, okay, this show totally pretties up the world of like competitive chess for a young woman in the 1960s. Like there's never any sexual harassment. There's no real sort of violent sexism, whatever. It's, it's BS. But... It's well, kind there's of no enjoyable. racism in it either. Yeah, there's no racism. There's because also there's no people of color. Exactly. Except there's for one, one friend. There's a magical black friend. Magical black friend who's there for you all the time. Exactly. So there for her that so she gives her. her lends her money to go to the Soviet and Union. And steals drugs for her. The point mm. the point I am trying to make is that over and over again in the Queen's Gambit, you see her opponents gracefully concede. That is the entire point. Like repeatedly. Some chess player, ranging from somebody who thinks he's good to someone who is a grandmaster, shakes her hand, concedes, you know, at the very end, the absolute biggest, you know, foe who is basically presented to be a Soviet robot, he suddenly develops a personality and like tells her how great she is when, when he concedes. That's what concession is. I mean, as many problems as there are on the show. That's what concession is. It's graceful. It's like, wow, you you did this. You you won. You what you said appealed to people. You know, you were the better opponent. Whatever it is, Trump's never going to do that. He doesn't have an ounce of grace in his body. What do you, what is required in order for one to have grace? Humility, and self-awareness, an awareness that you are not the best thing since you know, pop tarts. Pop tarts. That's that's that. We're on the is brain because I was looking up what to do with excess <laughs> that's leftover what cranberry the pace, sauce. People. Pop because tarts. I basically made a quantity of cranberry sauce so that I could have it on turkey sandwiches. But you know, then I wanted to make turkey tetrazzini and turkey rice soup and all these things. And so we're actually starting to run low on turkey. We can't have that many sandwiches left. Oh no, so low on turkey. We've got a lot of cranberry sauce left. So I was looking up what could one do with the excess cranberry sauce and one idea is homemade pop tarts which i think i might try i'm kind of carved out i have a question for you what's the difference between humility and humiliation well gravy has opinions about the matter you know i mean it's an interesting question because the answer seems really obvious right humility is about you know an awareness that that's awareness of self that you know, you may have the ability to make mistakes. You might sometimes be wrong. You're not always the best person in a given scenario, et cetera, et cetera. It's not insecurity. It's not um, self-hatred. It's just an awareness that you can make mistakes, that you're human, you're fallible. And that um, it's not about you. And that that's not about you. That is part of the human condition. And... Um, okay, so humility. Thinking of others. What is humiliation? And humiliation is... Is I mean, it's obviously there's a shared root word, and I don't know exactly what the root is or, or the source or anything, but um, humiliation is kind of, I mean, if humility, I guess, is sort of like that same value, but it's a positive, and it comes from within, and humiliation is you sort of take that value and you turn it into a weapon against somebody else, you know, you... 
you to humiliate someone is to make them feel less than to show their weaknesses to mock them to um, put them in a situation where they show their flaws um, to to win but meanly right Mm -hmm. like I think of a wrestling match and you know you can allow someone to tap out Right. right but humiliation would be you force them so violently that they can't just do that like they pee themselves or something you know they right right they it uh, lacks the grace it lacks the grace it lacks the humanity right do you think that president trump knows the difference between humility and humiliation no actually i think that's probably a good way to put it that he he doesn't seem to he thinks that to show humility is to be humiliated, and that they're very different. I mean, his niece came out with a book and was on right. every news source and every potential place that she could be she for the last bank out of that for the last two years. Yeah, she has been on a mission to oust her uncle from the White House, doing secret recordings right. between her and her aunt, Trump's sister. And then exposing and sharing those private recordings with news outlets where, you know, her aunt is basically sharing that Trump didn't get into college on his own, didn't really graduate and do any of the work, just like basically shows how much he has won different things or achieved, quote unquote, different things without actually doing the work for them. Um, And so we have this election. He has lost Um, And he is still, to this day, trying to say that he didn't lose. And there's all these news reports about how it's really, you know, even though they are Republican Party, you know, members, it's really the local folks in across different cities and states that are the folks who sign off on saying that this election, you know, is finalized and here's the winner. And they're the ones who really stood up to him, Mm -hmm. really shining a light on, wait a minute, how many different people, how many different gatekeepers are there to the election process? And I think all of us learning like, ooh, we got to make sure Mm -hmm. that we know who's appointed or who's given Mm -hmm. these different gatekeeping roles because it's being exposed. Like mm-hmm. our democracy is being exposed. Just all the different you know, it's ways like the people in which it at doesn't, the, doesn't work. The people at the sort of most, you know, the lowest levels of of the process. Like they have a role in the process, but they're not, you know, senators and representatives yeah, and so forth. Yeah. They're, you know, small county commissioners and whatever. Those are the ones who had some spine, right? Even yeah. if they, yeah, even if they're conservative and I fundamentally disagree with the worldview you know at least they had some kind of wherewithal you know as opposed to anybody who had any kind of real ego about their role as a politician who just so besides the election and a massive increase of millions uh, for COVID you know 19 positive cases and, and deaths some other things have happened uh, between now and your last interview. Um, we went back to work. You went back to work and I joined it's you. It's been that long? Yes. I last interviewed you in the summertime. Oh, wow. Um, in our old house. Right. So we moved. Yeah, we moved. And we, we went back to work, working together as co-workers in some way, shape, or form. Yep. Um, and we work now together all the time at home it wasn't just last semester and then the summer it was the summer now we are back to again can you explain ever so briefly what have been some of the changes and anticipated upcoming changes to the university here at Reno like how are classes going what's happening I mean I know that most of my students in my one class are freshmen and they all had to move out of the dorms this week and not return. Mm -hmm. And it's unclear if they will ever return for a second semester. I don't think they will. I don't think they should. Um, But that's one of the the changes. What else have you heard and, you know, uh, seen or that you think are important to note about some changes that have happened and that are happening? Yeah, I mean... 
the stated plan continues to be that they will come back at the beginning of the spring semester and that people who do live in dorms will come back for the beginning of the spring semester. Which is late and, January. Right, and, and be there throughout the semester, and the only change that has occurred in the spring semester is to start a week later and eliminate spring break so that there isn't the problem of students leaving, traveling somewhere, coming back, um, and all the disease transmission that could occur in that scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, we're being encouraged to... Either we will be told break days that will be scattered across the semester or to create break days um, as a substitution for spring break. Um, I was planning to do this regardless. I'm glad that there is some understanding from higher up that that would be important mm-hmm. to students. Um, so I I don't necessarily... In, I don't... I don't really actually think that the plan for some on-campus housing, I don't think that'll be scrapped. I think that will continue um, as it has been. Um, There may be new, you know, additional protocols. We'll see. Um, We don't, we are not a campus that is heavily reliant on on on-campus housing. Most students do not. The vast majority of students do not live in university housing and many students don't even live right by campus like there is you know a fair amount of private apartment and whatever housing next to campus but a lot of students live somewhere else um you know in reno in sparks a little ways away whatever um so uh you know, any other changes? We have a new university president who used to be the governor of Nevada, Brian oh, Sandoval. Oh, yes. He's a good-looking guy. So, yeah, we say that because Felicia's <laughs> mother met him and, and <laughs> remarked on him being handsome, which what? is a fairly rare commentary this is what from Phyllis this is, Perez This is what happened. It wasn't, just Phyllis. A, it wasn't just Phyllis. It wasn't just Phyllis. He's kind of a Kendall kind of level of attractive. Like kind he's, of, yeah. He's kind of... With he's attractive. He's yeah. attractive, um, but in a very kind of like bland way I would say um he's you know as he's gotten older he's more he's a tilting towards like if Kendall was a silver fox sure um but you know he is he is blandly attractive in a way that is uh of benefit for politicians well this is what happened I once was an exhibit fabricator yes you were and I made an exhibit of the uh, tribes and community of indigenous folks here in northern Nevada for the airport for the airport right. and there Commissioned was a big by like the by the tribes right? yes and and there was a big uh, ceremony uh, for it and the governor was there and um, there was you know uh, leadership and members from every tribe uh, you know the Washu the Numu uh, the Paiute were all there mm-hmm. it was on the news and there were tribal leaders male tribal leaders who were sitting by my mom because my mom went to go sit with the tribal leaders because the elders yeah, were sitting and my sitting mom was like elders. i need to sit and there she was with her hawaiian uh t-shirt because or hawaiian blouse because that's how my mom rolls so um it was a series of elders, including my mom, and male tribal leaders who, who were ostensibly straight. Yes. Yeah. Who were all going, that's a good looking guy. Yeah, like it is like a <laughs> it is a truth universally acknowledged that Brian Sandoval is considered man. to be a tribe. It's almost the only way that we're able to sort of, you know, consume and swallow the rest of the the sometimes foul, very conservative things that he might uh, say when he right. was governor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean he's 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 far from the worst of the batch, but but, um, As president you know, of the university, it's been uh, great, though, because he actually communicates in an email yeah. with staff multiple times a week. Yeah. And we were not getting that before at the beginning yeah, of the pandemic. I'll, I'll agree that I think he's an improvement. I mean, you know, he's... It's he not full transparency, well but there's some oh transparency. Oh, God, it's, in no way is it full transparency. It is the appearance of transparency in order I'll to, take it. to be obs- to yeah, obscure. But I'll take like, the illusion of transparency versus, versus a massive cover-up cover and nothing. Yeah, no, I mean, he is notoriously anti-union. He's got a bunch of other issues. Um, but, you know, my personal... My per- my personal take on Sandoval is um, he's a moderate Republican who uh, opposed Adam Laxalt. Um, 
in multiple ways and and moved away from him and who I think I mean and he sought out the presidency of UNR he's an alum um, and I my personal take is that he wanted to take on the role of president of UNR in order to continue to have some kind of leadership position official leadership position while avoiding elected office at this time he was like, at I don't one think point he's willing I don't think he's willing to leave the Republican Party um, and I don't think he's willing to work with the existing Republican Party especially as it operates in Nevada which is heavily Trumpy he- heavily lax alt right um, you know he, he just he doesn't want to go there and so I think he's sort of waiting out the storm he was also on the short list early on in one of the first uh, Supreme Court appointments from the Trump administration. He was featured. He was on a list. Um, Which is surprising. I mean, he's not... Is it surprising? Amy Comey Barrett, who's never even, you know, taken a case to the Supreme Court, was the most recent. Well, yeah, I mean, it fits with their general sort of like neoliberal, you know, let's let's put somebody up who's going to back the narrative that we're not fundamentally about white supremacist patriarchy. But it almost shows you what kind of a Republican, what kind of a Republican he is, that the Trump administration decided not to you know take him uh further right i don't think process. he's loyal enough right? yeah exactly which yeah. for many of us who are not conservative is actually a good thing so why did we move why did we change houses why in the middle of a pandemic did we pack up our house and hire movers to go inside our new house and unpack things why did we do that well we we had a, a really great opportunity to to buy a, a, a slightly bigger and, and nicer house um, in the neighborhood that we love and uh, and sell our house um, and at a time when you know if you if you're able to do it right now it's kind of a good move um, low interest rates and all that um, we you know we had been living in a little bit of a smaller house smaller lot this house has a lot more outdoor space to hang out in deck and a porch and which is important when you work from home in the same office with your spouse and never leave each other yeah just it's just a little bit bigger um it's a two two bathroom instead of one it's got this let me tell you the joys of both of us being able to use the restroom at the same time and not have it be the same restroom it's pretty great Ooh. Yeah, it's got a big garage that has, part of it is sort of half, you know, a quarter of a way to being finished so that it can be a studio. Um, it's got its own little half bath out there and stuff like that. Uh, you know, we'd been it, we'd been interested in moving at some point and just this kind of turned up as an opportunity and we were able to do it, you know? it's. Do you think that this house and this move would have been something that we would have done if COVID-19 hadn't happened. Maybe. I don't think that the pressure wouldn't, would have been there quite as much. Because we still would have been traveling, we'd still be gone a lot. Right, like the, the house This house isn't low maintenance. It's quite it's, high maintenance because there's so much outdoor space to maintain. a lot of yard to take care of, um, but it's fantastic. It's... I mean, you know, I think that our house did feel smaller due as to... As we lived in it longer it. through, like, and longer not as in years, but as in we were in the house for yeah, longer amounts yeah. of time all the time and that it we, started feeling smaller. Yeah, we got some new pretty noisy neighbors who, you know, because they couldn't go out to bars were just kind of noisy get-togethers a lot of the time. Um real on top of us with that I, I think that we might have moved but I don't think it would have been as likely so Thanksgiving has happened it is our 12 year wedding anniversary yep. and the winter holidays of Christmas and New Year's are just around the corner you having any thoughts about the holidays this year 
I mean, I will coincidentally say before that, sorry, that another big thing that happened is that your mom moved. My mom moved. Yeah. As well. And not just from an apartment to another apartment. No, to an independent, like a senior independent living. Place. Which is kind of a scary yeah. place yeah. right she now with COVID to be She was supposed to be moving in. in, she had a move date in April and it was postponed because of rules around um, quarantine and uh, at first the rules would have meant that she would have had to move in and then like literally never move leave her apartment for a period of time which would have been because she would bad. have had to quarantine and isolate in her little in apartment the, li- alone. in a little apartment yeah uh, a little small one bedroom um so then that that loosened a bit and she was able to move and that seems to you know she's settling in um do you feel good about her being in that place is it a you know mixed bag? over the long term i do i think that um i'm a little nervous about possibly being more exposed to COVID, but but I think there's a bunch of advantages. You know, they have me benefit of my brother living real nearby, um, but you know he he can't be everything. Um, so you know so that has happened. Let's go back to the holidays. Oh my God! Wait a minute. What? I forgot. You had a, a second publication come out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A second book. This one's a co-edited book. It's an anthology of radical activism in the U.S. from 1973 to 2001. Um, and Which means that yeah. it's missing the last 19 years. It is. And let me just ask you this question really quick on the book before we, we cap off and end with the holidays, which is if you were to have an additional book like this that has archival um, documents and stories um, about real like social justice resistance movements in the United States, but it was just about this year of 2020 and COVID-19, what would be two items that you think, or just one, that you think should really be put in an anthology like this, considering that COVID hasn't just been COVID, right. but has also been the political uprisings of right. the summer right. with George Floyd and Breonna right. Taylor's right. murder at the center and with this presidential election. Is it car marches? Is it is it silhouette, no, 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 you know, no, no, actions no. at corporate headquarters because people can't be there? Is it the mutual aid yeah, activism? Yeah. Is it is it so many marches with people masked up? What is it? Is it is it a conversation about, you know, the militia? Is it about right. the um, election defenders and the folks who, like, made going to vote at the election um, something that was, like, celebratory and wonderful? Like, what would it be? Um, I don't know that I think that it would primarily be written documents. I Or mm-hmm. I'd have a little hard time thinking about exactly the written documents off the top of my head. Um... I think that it would be a kind of like a living museum of, um, you know, I think it would include like a light pole with, you know, bottles of water taped to it, like the sort of mutual aid, but in the streets mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. work. I think that it would be, um, you know, masks uh and the combination of masks and uh, tear, you know, anti-tear gas masks, and uh, it would be people moving, like this living museum would have people enacting, evading, getting kettled, you know, by the police and evading. Um, what about the seven? I think that it would be debates over demands about abolition what about the 7 p.m you know uh, clapping that happened early on in new yeah, york I think for it essential would include, workers i think it would include that i think it would be the continuum of part of it would it would talk about the continuum between um responding to covid in in mutual aid kinds of ways and in you know, worker solidarity kinds of ways, and then the way the the ways that that informed and shaped protests against police murder and and for police abolition um, and and defunding. I think 
um, that definitely it also would include contending with the growth of uh, white nationalist militias. Yeah, I mean, I, I think for me, the the sort of like visual of 2020, um, there are so many, but one that really stands out to me is sort of like burned in my mind is the standoff between nurses and doctors standing in front of the hospitals, mm-hmm. blocking with their bodies, forming a human blockade from, you know, very conservative and militia-led, you know, groups trying to block the access to the hospital because they were trying to open up the states right i think that for me really sort of says what 2020 has been like you know caregivers versus harm harm i think it would i think it would i don't know exactly how you would document exhaustion (laughs) but uh Mm. it has to somehow address Maybe it's those marks on people's faces. That problem, yeah. And it, I think it also has to address the sort of, on, you know, the ongoing problem that we've lived with for, for so long of the electoral, of electoral politics really taking the wind out of movement sales while also being a critically important to, a space to engage or a problem to engage in order to advance movement goals. I mean, that is just, it's such a frustrating problem, right? The sort of necessity to be Trump, but through really just, <laughs> you know, highly problematic as putting it mildly, right. um, candidate and, and like the, not even just the issue of whether to support Biden and Harris or how or how to express critique or how to push them from the left, et cetera, which are all important things, but um, just the energy, yeah, just the time and energy, like the way that it takes all the oxygen out of the room. So, question. Yesterday, you and I went and got a Christmas tree. Yes. We saw one and we said that one. And then we said, well, well wait a minute, we wait got a minute. Let's one. let's maybe look at a second one. Yeah, yeah. We yeah. went. It was a to measured compare decision to, by yes. our, you know, terms. five minutes in and out. Yes. We got a tree. <laughs> we brought fast. it back. Yeah. We decorated it. Two and a half weeks prior to that, we put up Christmas lights and Christmas decorations. And so everything's been early. Yeah. By the way, some folks might say that you know it's still November. What are you putting up Christmas? We were actually in the middle of the herd. There's actually people who oh, yeah. who right after October, right after Halloween. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, November first. Yeah, yeah. We're decorating the inside of their houses and the outside of the house. And so my question to you, my final question to you, is this. Do you think that people are trying to celebrate the sort of, you know, spirit, the the energy of Christmas early because COVID-19 is so bad that we are looking for something that might bring us some sort of like cheer yeah. and joy? Or is it that we're just willing and wanting so quickly January to come because that's when the inauguration is and that's when the current administration will yeah, be. Yeah, I mean, but is I'm sure both? I'm sure that there are people who are not, you know, who are from the right, not thrilled to see the inauguration, who are decorating early too. So I don't know that it's entirely... I would beg to well differ. As, you know, I think the left non- is decorating and the right it's is, is not. I mean, you know, and the, and the fuzzy liberal middle... Is decorating. Oh, the fuzzy liberal the fuzzle middle. liberal middle is especially decorating. You know, and there's also folks who don't celebrate Christmas for crying out loud, so they're not putting stuff up. Okay. But I do think, I do think that, yeah, you know, trying to focus on something that'll bring joy, have something to do. If you're going to be even more stuck in the house, you know, make it cute. Um, will this year to end? Uh <laughs> you know, try to maybe will COVID to end somehow magically by, by putting up Christmas decorations, um, have something to do with kids, you know, yeah, yeah, it's all of those things. I mean, why the hell not? Like, nothing else has made any sense, so why not put up, and besides, you know, frankly, we put up our Christmas tree last year right after Thanksgiving anyway, 
Yeah, but that's because I always want Christmas to come early because I love the Christmas. Anybody who knows you knows that it's incredibly frustrating to give you gifts because you want them all open like four days before and then on the day... I just don't see why gift giving should be limited to, you know, your birthday and Christmas. I think that gifts should be given every day. That's not the problem. Okay, first of all, gifts should not be given every day. Otherwise, they have no meaning and they're pointless. (gasps) They should be special. They should not be every day. Second of all, like... When I there disagree. is a special day and you want things to be get to be opened on them, you have to have some patience. No. You are not someone who was taught gra- delayed gratification. Wow. I don't I don't see the point in delayed gratification, especially under COVID-19 times. We don't have time to delay gratification. You've well, you never experienced you know the joy what, of delayed gratification. You know what COVID-19 is? It is the forced social delayed gratification because we don't have no, a choice not. in when COVID-19 is over yet. No, 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 no. Delayed gratification is not about pain and suffering. Delayed gratification is about it's so exciting, it's so exciting, I can't wait, I can't wait. That's how I and feel about the vaccine. You get to have it. That's how I feel about the vaccine. It's oh my God, oh my God, same. oh my God, I it's can't wait till same. I have it. It's not the same. And that, dear listeners and readers, is how we've managed to stay together for 12 plus arguing. years. Arguing. All we do is fight. But you know. each other's perceived flaws. But you know. You know, it's not sunny anymore and we're supposed I know. to go on a bike ride we're, and I'm I really know. mad about I it. I know. We're, we're going to wrap this up and make a plan right now to celebrate our anniversary. But what I wanted to end with is, you know, fighting. I've come to really appreciate fighting. You don't fight with people that you don't care about. You don't fight over things that you don't you care about. You have not come to appreciate fighting. I appreciate fighting with you because it proves how much we love each other and love the things that we fight about. And in this country, we have been fighting with each other for four plus years. Mm-mm-mm. I'm not you quite and me sure. fighting is not the same as this. I'll take that. I'll take that. But what I'm curious about is I don't know what we've been fighting about exactly. Yeah, in well, the because, like, you know. <sighs> I just don't think it applies. It's not the same. It cannot be compared. And things are not based on a model of an individual loving relationship is not the is not the template for the country. So if you're saying that we we celebrated Christmas early last year and so it's not we actually didn't different. Celebrate Christmas you just early. said that we did. We put the up tree. our tree we celebrated Christmas at the correct time. We put up our tree a little early. Do you think these kinds of things will stay? I mean, isn't this what how traditions begin? You start doing one thing, you do it again, you do it again. I have absolutely no problem with putting up a tree the day after Thanksgiving. How do you feel about only working from home for the rest of your life? Less positive. <laughs> how do you feel about not seeing family and friends for the holidays for the rest of your life? Real not happy. The thing is, in the 90s... But... When but... But if it was a weird kind of dumb choice, like I could see them all the rest of the year, but not the holidays, or not see them the rest of the year and only see them on the holidays, I would gladly take being alone for the holidays. And see them all the other times Yes, of the year. and be able to see them at any other time. Right. Because I don't actually like putting stress on the holidays. I, to me, the best holiday is like, like that's just an actual holiday is one where I get to just like sit at home and make cookies and read on my deck and then I can travel at other times but that's different that's like a vacation what are you even going to be able to salvage this interview at all with all this dog barking I don't know we're outside and they just hate that there are other people and dogs in the world hush I mean that pretty much sums up the country what I was going to say is, in the 90s with the with HIV and, and AIDS... In the 90s with HIV and AIDS, we have it still. Can I please, in the 90s mm. with HIV and AIDS, there were two options. Complete abstinence from sex and engaging in, you know, sexual activities with protection, with communication, and with testing. Do you think 
we are approaching a time where you can still go out and do things. You can go to school. You can go to work. You can get on a plane as long as there is protection, testing, and communication. Do you think we're there? Because there's no cure to HIV. And while there might be a vaccine to a current strand of what COVID-19 is like, it's quite possible that this will just mutate and we'll get a different version of it. Yep. Do you think we'll ever be able as a country to get to the point of testing, communication, and protection? Or are we just waiting for the vaccine and it just has to be a vaccine? I mean, it's the difference between, you know, a cure and not having one. One depends on the community and active communication and thinking of others. The humility is on point or just let me get me the vaccine so I'm safe. I mean, I just think that that stems from a misunderstanding of HIV. That's why I get upset about like in the 90s HIV. Like it is still those things. It is still about, you know, protection, even though that has mutated now to treatment as prevention and to prep, you know, HIV is still with us and and it's still unevenly distributed and it's still linked to racialized poverty and it always was it just wasn't you know necessarily recognized as much as such in the past so i think you know w vaccines are going to be crucial but that you know the reason that this pandemic emerged is because of climate change, because of, you know, the growth of encroachment on wild habitats that enable zoonotic diseases to flourish. And so all, all we have against HIV are these like partial measures that don't fundamentally address the, the problems that created and fueled and continue to create and fuel the epidemic. The, you know, the cure for HIV is social justice. That's what actually, you know, makes it into something we truly can live with and prevent. And the same for COVID and other likely coronaviruses in the future. The cure is social justice. Yeah. Which also then means care for other people, which means people begin to accept that they wear masks when they have symptoms or, or don't have symptoms, you know, when that they put into place these measures that are so basic that we prioritize keeping schools open instead of restaurants and casinos, you know, and shopping malls. So... Education versus consumption. Yeah, I mean, we absolutely we need the basic biomedical tools of vaccines and of medical treatment, but those don't exist in a vacuum. Those are only enabled and can be carried out and rolled out and so forth, you know, in a social context. Emily Hobson. In sickness and in health, richer or poorer, in all of those situations. And to your previous interview, it's everything all at once. Thank you for loving me back in a contractual... <laughs> State-approved manner? State-approved manner for the I last just want years. the listening public however small or large they may be, to understand that you are currently sitting on the deck wearing your, I believe it is French artist smock? It is a French artisan smock. Yeah, it is a very nice shade of dark blue, not quite a navy, but darker than royal. The mm -hmm. buttons are more like a royal blue or mm -hmm. robin's egg blue. Mm -hmm. No, the royal blue. And uh, I would say dodger blue buttons. Thank you. They are Dodger blue buttons. That's another thing we didn't Doyers, even talk about. Los, Los Doyers, Doyers won the World Series. Well, blue just first won. Time blue since, just won. Yeah. Democrats won. Dodgers won. Anything with a D won. Sure. Uh, 
as you noted, the Dodgers won um, at the hand of a Mexican pitcher. Mexican pitcher, yeah. not a Mexican American pitcher, a Mexican no, from, national yes, pitcher. Yes, a Mexican Mexican. Like Fernando Valenzuela. Yep. Who was the last time? Who was uh, the last time? When he was a pitcher, yep. that was the last who time the Dodgers won. Wore his socks real high. Real high. And that's had, the way you're supposed as to wear I them. Recall, like, I don't like the long pants. Kind of meaty legs. He was a meaty guy. He was like a meaty guy. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Anyway, I want the listening public to know mm. that you are wearing something as a garment that I associate with sort of like if you were Georgia O'Keeffe, you would be wearing this blue French artist. I only wear this when I'm about to do art. It's a shacket. It's a shacket. It's a shirt jacket shacket. Yeah. Um, I'm working right now. It's thick. I think it's cotton. It is. But very thick. It's French cotton. French cotton. <laughs> And it's kind of genderless. It's a genderless garment. Is that what I am too? I'm genderless. No, I don't. I thought it was genderful. genderful. You're genderful, but the garment itself is genderless, which I appreciate. Okay. Which it makes you rock it and you make it genderful. And sweatpants. You make it seem like I was only wearing this top. I'm not Donald Ducking it. Well, yeah, you're not Donald Ducking it. You're also wearing a fuzzy microphone clipped to your lapel. And a gray. I don't understand the point of this description. Cat with a with a. Um, it's kuritama with oh, it's pencil. It's a broken broken pencil. It's patch. like a patch that you I think ironed onto the hat that is a broken pencil. Why do and people then, need to know what I'm wearing? Um, really great uh, plaid slippers that leave fuzzy bits all over your feet. And why did you feel you needed to describe I just this? Just wanted to paint a picture. Of your Georgia O'Keeffe waves. Waves. Waves, waves. You've been listening to Been There, Done That, your pandemic survival podcast. I'm your host, Felicia Perez. Stay well and stay human. Stay human.